Well, bless the Lord, O my soul. Let all that's in me bless his holy name. It is so good to be back here with Pastor Dan and with the good folks of Bethesda. This is my hometown, and I always love to come. I, never, I, I say come back to Fort Worth. I just feel like I've been in exile down in Waco and uh, feel at home when I'm here. So thank you for welcoming me to this beloved and storied fellowship in these days. Indeed, R.T. is a good friend, and I'll let him know of the opportunity uh, to be here with you. He'll be blessed to hear that. He's one of the great preachers in the earth. He's all over this planet. Pastor Dan, thank you again for opening up this pulpit for me. I want to invite your attention this morning to Psalm 46, a psalm for the living of these days. If I were to write a title over the message for this hour, I might call it How Not to Get Shook Up When Your World Shakes Down. Psalm 46. Could I read this into your hearing in the Word of God? Because faith comes by what? Hearing. And hearing by the Word of God. This incidentally was Martin Luther's Battle Hymn of the Reformation. It came across in a mighty fortress is our God. Well, let's hear the word of God. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth should change, though the mountains shake in the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble with its tumult, there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of the city. It shall not be moved. God will help it when the morning dawns. The nations are in an uproar. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come behold the works of the Lord. See what desolations he's brought on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow. He shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I'm God. I'm exalted among the nations. I'm exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us, and the God of Jacob is our refuge. Amen. You hear me now? All right. Let's pray a moment. Lord, we've heard your holy word given through your servant David so long ago. Now I pray that this word would leap off these pages and move from thenness to nowness. 
and that it would land in the lap of every person hearing it this morning. Those sitting here in this sacred space and those listening wherever they may be across this city and this world, I pray that the thumbprint of every person hearing this word would be on this psalm today. Now, Lord, we come to appeal for your power as this word is proclaimed that it will not return void or empty, but it'll accomplish what you want it to do in the lives of everyone listening. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. How not to get shook up when your world shakes down. <laughs> the Ocean Drilling and Exploration Company thought that they had built an offshore platform uh, in the North Sea that could withstand anything that was thrown against it. In that kind of funnel that comes down between England and the European coast, a 30-story tall oil rig that had been engineered to withstand a 100-mile-an-hour wind or a 100-foot-tall wave. And yet, when a tanker came to siphon off that liquid gold one morning, it had vanished. Vanished with more than 70 people on it. To this day, nobody knows what was thrown against it. Some force of nature beyond anyone's ability to understand, it just vanished to the bottom of the sea. In the words of my title, it didn't have what it took to stand when everything shook up. <laughs> to continue that kind of architectural metaphor, in the earthquake-prone city of Tokyo, Frank Lloyd Wright, the iconic American architect, designed the Imperial Hotel. And it was designed with a revolutionary design that had five columns up through it that would flex, that would bend when the seismic tremors hit that earthquake-prone city. And you can look up a picture on Google, not right now. <laughs> and you can see all around it buildings that were flattened but the Imperial Hotel stood because it had what it took not to get shook up when everything shakes down. Now, we're not certain what the occasion of this psalm was. Some think that it was an international crisis, such as we have and might face in these days. Sennacherib, the bloodthirsty general of the Assyrians, had an army of 180,000 people bearing down on the tissue-thin walls of the holy city, city of David, Jerusalem. You may remember the story. In the fourth watch of the night, the angel of death flew over that army. And when the Hebrews looked over the walls of the city, it was an army of corpses the next day. Maybe that was the occasion of this, an international crisis. I'd rather think, however, it was something in the life of the psalmist some mental confusion, some emotional disruption, some spiritual disrepair. And he got through it, and he got on the other side. And he said, God is our refuge. And I trust in these days of crisis, I don't have to enumerate it. I don't have to paint any pictures. <laughs> All around us, a sense of threat, a sense of fragility, a sense that things are breaking up and shaking down. 
This is a kind of word for our times. I want to hand you out of this two or three things, and I'll take my seat. When everything around you is shaking down, psalmist wants you to understand that God and God alone is your only refuge. Now this begins with, with a kind of science fiction scene almost in this. The psalmist is standing on firm earth. And while he's standing there like a snake slithering across a field, the earth cracks open under his very feet. Well, if you're standing in the Holy Land, which is it's about the size of New Jersey, it's not, a, it's not a huge nation, you would run upward and inland into the everlasting hills where Mount Carmel was. But as he runs toward the hills, you read here, they're staggering over into the ocean like a drunk man out of the bar at 2 a.m. in the morning. So the hills are nowhere to go. The only other place you have left in Israel, that narrow neck of land, is the Mediterranean Sea. But when he tries to run out into the sea, pieces of mountain are floating by on a tsunami like beach toys. <laughs> that is, there's nowhere to stand. Around cracking open, under mountains falling into the sea, around him, the sea roaring. Everything that he thought was a haven, shaken up. Is that not the truth about our kinds of times? <laughs> I don't know whether to laugh or cry. I picked up the Waco News Tribune, our little local paper, Friday morning, and a big picture on the front page, and this was the headline, Waco Optimist Club Disbands. <laughs> Pastor, I mean... What else could happen? Our ball team's losing to everybody. A virus, university meeting virtually, whole nation torn up in the midst of an election, and then on the front page of the paper, the Optimist Club disbanded. It really was sad. There were five or six old guys looking at some banners on a the table. They were going to give away everything they had and disband the Optimist Club. I said, the end must be near. <laughs> Days like that, aren't they? In a sense, it's tragicomic. That's kind of tragedy and comedy at the same time, the Optimist Club closing down. But there's good news in this. When everything shakes up that can be shaken up, and when many of us think there's nowhere left to stand, the first word in this psalm is not fear. The first word is God. God is our refuge. Let me give you a clue. If you haven't found out, life will bring you to this place. Institutions come and go. Seasons and epochs come and go. People that you were thought were friends come and go. The only refuge you have is God. Now, that's an interesting word in Hebrew. It means literally a mighty rock tower. That's why Luther in his great hymn, a mighty fortress is our God. The German is ein Festeberg, a mighty mountain is our God. But look what it says. He lets himself be found when life is in the trouble. Literally, the Hebrew says when life is between the streets, now, a strait is a narrow neck of land between two bodies of water. Off the boot of Italy in the ancient world, there was a strait, and on the one side, 
there was a rock and on the other side there was a whirlpool and it was famous for sinking and shattering ships. We'd say in plain old Texan, when life is between a rock and a hard place, that's where he lets himself be found. Now come close to me. Some folks have decided that God only lets himself be found when God's in his heaven, the sun's high in the sky, and all is well. The psalmist says he lets himself be found when your address is Rock Avenue and Hard Place Boulevard. <laughs> That's the place that he likes to let himself be found. And because of that, the psalmist says, therefore, we will not fear. If you look up fears, you can find that there's more than 800 named fears. Fears that have been tagged and labeled. Some of them are contradictory fears, like agoraphobia. That's fear of open outdoor places. I heard a story the other day of a lady that had so much agoraphobia that she literally had to back away from her front door. And I'm not belittling this, it's, it's a real thing. Back away from her front door and pick the paper up, the newspaper, and keep in sight of her front door so she could run back in. Agoraphobia. Fear of open places. But then there's the contradictory. Claustrophobia. Fear of what? In closed places. 800 fears. There's herpetophobia. That's fear of snakes. Arachnophobia, that's fear of spiders. I got that one. Do you know there's even one called homilophobia? That's fear of sermons. <laughs> that you're going to be trapped and have to listen to somebody like me. 800 named fears. The birthright of anyone who's been born from above and knows the Lord Jesus Christ or in those words that Paul wrote Timothy. Timothy was young, he was timid, and he was sick. And remember what he told him? He said, God has not given you what? The spirit of what? Fear, but love and power and a sound mind. What did the angels say at the beginning of the gospel? What did they sing out? Fear not. This is good news. What were the first words of Jesus after his resurrection? When he showed up in that upper room, what? Fear not! And you know when John was writing the Revelation, an old man, a hundred years old on the island of Patmos, in that little cave where he wrote the Revelation, when the cosmic Christ showed up, hair like wool, eyes like lasers, tongue like a sword, same old Jesus. What was his first words? Fear not. I don't tell you this. In these days when in the middle of the night you may wake up with a panic attack and wonder what's next, you have the authority to rebuke the evil one and say, God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of love and power and a sound mind. You ever make fun of the devil? He's proud. He can't stand it. That's what James 4 says. Rebuke him and he will flee from you. God is your refuge. But that's not the end of this. Let's lean into this another way. God also is your resource. 
Now, if I were Steven Spielberg or somebody making a movie of this, I'd love to see the segue between three and four, verses three and four. In the first three verses, the earth is quaking, the mountains are falling, there's a tsunami. But then in verse three, you're down by a quiet river. In fact, in the original language, not even a verb, it just says with an exclamation mark, a river. Earth's no longer quaking or mountains falling or tsunami. You're just down by a river. The further it flows, the broader it grows, the quieter it flows. God's river. <laughs> you know, our first parents in Eden were in a place watered by named rivers. You can read it over in the book of Genesis. Something about God. You go all the way to the last book in Revelation. What is it? The new Jerusalem that comes down from above is on a river. That river kind of goes subterranean in the Old Testament, goes underground, and then in Ezekiel shows back up a river flowing from the threshold of the temple. Now, that's interesting because Jerusalem isn't on a river. Other capitals are on a river. There's Austin down on the Colorado. There's Washington on the Potomac. London on the Thames, Paris on the Seine, Rome on the Tiber, you just go on and on. Jerusalem didn't have a river. And yet Ezekiel said, day's coming when from the temple in Jerusalem they're going to flow a river. John chapter 7. On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus interrupted church, do you remember? <laughs> they were pouring water out of a silver pitcher and Jesus cried out with a loud voice, ricocheting off the walls of that temple, if anyone come to what? Me, out of his inmost being will flow what? Rivers, not a river, rivers of living water. That's the same drink he offered that woman at the well. <laughs> Said, if you knew who was talking to you, you'd stop talking to me about well water. I'll give you living water. He promised you not only a refuge, he promises you a resource. It's called here a river. Now in that land where down by the Dead Sea, there's not two inches a year of rain. It's hard for us to know that every single day people woke up thinking about water. It was so scarce, so hard to get. A gallon of water weighs eight and a third pounds. Average human uses 40 gallons of it a day to cook, to wash, to bathe. Water. And here's promised a resource. Now, this is God's power. You ever notice that human power is noisy, but God's power is quiet? When we want to show our power, we'll fire a gun or shoot a rocket off Cape Canaveral or Cape Kennedy and shake the earth. Human powers, noisy. Come close to me, God's power is quiet. Look down at that Grand Canyon. That Grand Canyon was cut through the sands over the millions of years by a quietness of a river. You don't like canyons? Well, let me put it this way this morning. Somewhere in this county, this city, this morning, as the sun came through the shears into a baby's nursery, the sun came and hit the eyes of that sleeping little baby. 
and it didn't even wake the baby up. And yet at the same time, that sun was lifting millions of tons of water out of the Gulf, creating the wind currents that blow them over here that empty it out on rain, and it didn't even wake up a baby. You don't like nurseries? Well, think about this morning. <laughs> For you were awake when the sun came up, maybe. It's hitting every green thing, the leaves of those trees, the blades of grass. And when the sun hits the chlorophyll, that creates the atmosphere that makes it possible for us to live on this planet. And yet I doubt anybody got up this morning having coffee and said, honey, the sun's hitting the chlorophyll. <laughs> God's power is quiet power, but it's real power. And you have that as a resource. Do you avail yourself of it? Now look when he says it happens. He says it happens at the last watch. The word is at just at the break of dawn. That's why I think this was about the invasion of Sennacherib and 180,000 Assyrians because when they woke up at the break of dawn, that defenseless tiny little city had, a, had an army of corpses out around it at just the break of dawn. Because often, that's when God's power comes through in your life. See, the ancients divided the night into four watches. Sundown till 9 o'clock p.m., that was the first watch. 9 to midnight, the second. Midnight to 3, the third watch. 3 to the dawn was the fourth watch. And that's the word here. God's power came in at the fourth watch of night. Back in the days, I remember pastor used to sit up with people in hospitals. Uh, you know, I used to be little churches in North Texas, down in Granbury and other places. And somebody had a crisis at the hospital, and half the church would go down there. You know, everybody's talking full of energy from 6 to 9. They put on a pot of coffee, 9 to 12. A whole lot of folks at 12 say, well, I think everything's in hand. I'm going to go home. The hardest watch is what? From three, the fourth watch of the night, every, every fiber in you wants to go to sleep. Your eyelids are heavy. Human metabolism at its lowest, the fourth watch of the night. Now come close to me. God intervenes so often at the fourth watch of the night. And do you know why? Because everyone has to confess that was God. You see, if he did it in the first watch of the night, I'd get proud about it. You know, so hug myself. It's a terrible way to go with self-hugulation. You know, I say, look, look, look what I did. If it was the second watch of the night, I might say, man, I've got a great network and I just got on social media and they all came to my help. But if it's the fourth watch of the night, the angels in heaven above, the unbelieving naysayers on earth and the demons in hell have to say, that had to be God. Somebody here tonight wants to know, well, when's God going to intervene? Sometimes he'll come at just the time, so everyone has to say that had to be God. There were no human resources left. And I'm preaching to somebody here or beyond here. Your heart is empty. Your bank account is empty. The landlord's knocking at the door, ruining rent. The repo guy's down the street waiting for the car. And American Express has a, a hitman out looking for you. <laughs> and you don't know what to do next. I'm here to tell you, he's a fourth watch of the night kind of God. You know, sometimes he's just waiting for you to get worn out so he can save you. 
Anybody here recognize the name Watchman Nee, N-E-E? Great self-taught Chinese pastor, a miracle man. I didn't know him, but I knew somebody who did know him, Miss Bertha Smith, a missionary. Unbelievable Chinese self-taught Christian. Watchman Nee in his little book, Normal Christian Life, said he was out swimming one time with some Chinese brothers at a favorite swimming hole. One of them was a very good swimmer. Most of them were average swimmers, and the other one couldn't swim at all. And Nee said the one that couldn't swim started to drown. He went under. His hand was on top of the water, waving, screaming for help. And they were all calling to the good swimmer perched on a rock up here. <laughs> Save him. And he just sat there. Save him. He just sat there. Said, finally, at the, it looked like the end with a few sure, swift swimmer strokes. The good swimmer saved him. Watchman Nee said, I was mad at him. I hated that brother. We gathered around him and said, why did you wait so long? And the good swimmer said, he was so frightened and so stiff and threshing the water so hard he would have drowned both of us. I had to wait until he was limp and then I could save him. Now come close to me. You say, when's God going to Sometimes he, God waits till you're limp so you'll know he's Lord. Fourth watch of the night. Well, refuge, resource, here's the good part. That means you can relax. Be still and know that I'm God. Now, this is the first time God speaks in this song. It's time now for a word from the sponsor. <laughs> All the rest of this has been narrative. Earth shaking, mountains falling, sea roaring, river flowing. And then you see war, burning chariots, implements of war on fire. And in the middle of all of this catastrophe, God says, Be still and know that I'm God. Literally, the Hebrew says, Let your hands hang down. We talk a lot about our hands, don't we? We say, the situation is so bad, I just, what, threw my... Huh. Or we get like Pontius Pilate. We say, I'm just washing my hands of the whole situation. Or we wring our hands. Or we say, this situation has gotten out of hand. Or when we can't deal with somebody, we say, he, she is a real handful. We use our hands, don't we, like that. But this passage says, let your hands hang down. Literally what it says, be still. Behind that's that image. It's the privilege if we live at the high atmosphere of faith. Not to have to throw our hands up. Not to have to wring our hands. But to let them hang down. And just let God be God. Let me tell you something. Life's going to teach you. Hadn't taught you yet. I can tell you. And that is how little you actually control. Because <laughs> God is God. And guess what? You're not. <laughs> Did you ever hear the tragedy of the neurotic roosters? A terrible tragedy. There was a rooster out on the farm. And every morning when the sun came up, the rooster would crow. And it'd wake up, the cows, the sheep, the goats, 
the hens and the farmer. Some came up, roosted, crow, and the rooster noticed when he crowed, everybody woke up. However, the rooster came to make a foul deduction. Y'all wake up here. And here was his foul deduction. He came to decide not that he crowed because the sun came up, but the sun came up because he crowed. Well, first of all, it turned him into an insomniac rooster. He's afraid if he didn't wake up, the sun wouldn't come up and the world wouldn't start. <laughs> Finally, they had to carry him off to a home for disturbed roosters. Because <laughs> he decided the sun came up because he crowed. Tell you something. In the life of faith, there's truth. Be still and know that he is God. I've listened to people in these days of national uproar in an election at the same time as a pandemic, at the same time of great injustices, as if somehow God got dizzy and fell off his throne. Let me assure you this, the God who dealt with Pharaoh, the God who dealt with Nebuchadnezzar, the God who took on Augustus and Tiberius and Nero, the God who dealt with Stalin and Hitler has not resigned. He's still on his throne. And you can be still and know that he's God all by himself. You don't have to prop him up. <laughs> well, I got to sit down. But you say, wait a minute, Joel, you left something out of here. Yeah, it's true. This is like a hymn with verses, stanza, did you see it? It's there twice just as if you would, would miss it. Did you see it? The Lord of hosts is with us and the God of Jacob is our refuge. And then again in verse 11, seven and 11, the Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our refuge. Now, the Lord of hosts, host means of heavenly armies. And that's why I think this was about the stopping the army of Sennacherib. The Lord of heavenly armies is with us. Well, he is. That's what the angels, that the Annunciation said. There was a, suddenly with the angel, a multitude of the what? Heavenly host. I haven't seen them. I know they're there. But I do know that second thing, the, the God of Jacob is with us. Now, you know, I'm so glad that said that. Now, if I were God's PR company and his marketing director, I wouldn't have said the God of Jacob. Jacob is the most undesirable, pusillanimous, way-faced, lily-livered scam artist in the Old Testament. I would have said the God of Abraham is with us, father of all of those who have faith. Or the God of Joseph is with us. He's desirable. Even the God of David. But the God of Jacob, his name means the God of old tricky one, Yaakov, that's what it means. The God of the old scam artist. The God of the guy who was one step ahead of the posse. <laughs> He's with, you know why I'm glad it says that? Because if he can be the God of Jacob, he can be the God of Joel. The God who took somebody who terribly needed grace and gave him a new name, made him Israel, Prince of God. I needed a new name. He came in grace to me. You know, this points right toward the New Testament. 
with us. God with us. What does that say? You shall call his name what? Emmanuel, which means God with us. It's as if this psalm couldn't end without pointing toward that coming somebody. Now, we're not here to worship the psalm or the psalmist. We're here because of God with us. God as he really is, listen to me, God as he really is with us right now as we really are. In the midst of this crisis, in the midst of a national crisis, a global crisis, God as he really is, not some invented God, with us as we really are. I'm going to sit down, but I want you to understand this has your thumbprint on this passage. Somebody here today would come, if I could talk to you back here when we leave, you'd say, well, Joel, you just don't understand my circumstances. And you act like you're the first person in the world that had circumstances. Let me tell you what, everybody has circumstances. I mean this. God, as he really is with you right now, as you really are in your circumstances, you name them, he lets himself be found when life is between rock and a hard place. I want you to bow with me, please, just a moment. In a moment, the ministry will come in its own way here and conclude this service in any way it wishes. But I want to pray with you. Because uh, I felt like this was a message for this hour in this congregation right now. Or you're beyond here. Maybe you're in bed this morning, sitting at a kitchen table, somewhere looking at a little screen, some of you. Lord, I pray this word would become a living word. That it would take wings from the pages of Holy Scripture. And it would land right in the lap of the person listening today who thinks they're so shook up, everything is shook down. I pray that they'd find in the crucified, resurrected, ascended Christ their refuge. We hear the words of the apostle. Seek those things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, Christ who is our life. Lord, may somebody find refuge in Jesus right now. Thank you for the resource. That living water, rivers of it. Lord, may we drink deeply. And I pray for troubled hearts right now that they'd be still, let their hands hang down. Lord, give peace in a strange, unexplainable way. May the peace of God mount guard over hearts. Vigilantly keep out all that fear and terror and anxiety can bring. Lord, come Spirit. And we pray today that we'll recognize your God and you haven't resigned. That there's nothing in our life or world 
that is too small for your attention or too big for your power. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said,